Well, it's wonderful to be with you again, and I hope that you're doing well and staying healthy and enjoying life. This is our Wednesday night service at Graceway Baptist Church, and uh, we've been looking through Psalm 64. It's not a very long psalm, but we've kind of taken the different uh, breakdowns of it and applying it to the way that we are supposed to live by looking at the way David was handling situations in his life, situations that we all face. Of course, the Bible promises us that those who desire to live godly in this life will suffer persecution. And David is a great example of that, a man after God's own heart, a king who tried to live an upright life, obviously not perfectly, of course. But uh, nevertheless, the Lord honored the desire of David's heart, David um, even uh, at the times when he didn't always do exactly what was right, uh, there was still something about his heart that was inclined toward God. And even after Nathan the prophet comes and confronts David about his sin that he had kept covered up from a year, you'll notice that David, whenever he is confronted with this sin, he runs immediately to the tabernacle, and Psalm 51 is the result of all of that. And so uh, God doesn't look so much at the perfection of a believer's life as much as he does the direction of their life. Where are you going? Where do you want to be? What is the real desire of your heart? And it's as if even though David fell into sin, and of course he sinned because he wanted to, it wasn't something that um, just happened. It wasn't like he tripped and fell or something like that. It was something that uh, caught him off guard initially, but then it became very intentional and very uh, dark and devious and awful. And I mean, you, you know the story, I'm sure. And yet you find, though, that when it was actually dealt with, David doesn't run from the Lord, but he runs to the Lord. So I would ask you, um, are you as quick to confess your sin as you are to fall into sin? Because that tells you a lot about the direction of your heart. When everything is uncovered, when the sin is exposed, and when we go deep down inside of you, is there way at the core of your being the desire to be godly, the desire to be holy, a love for God and a desire to follow after Him. And in my opinion, that really is the difference between a true believer and a false believer. A false believer may put on the mask and they may act holy, religious, whatever you want to call it. And sometimes a true believer may look an awful lot like a non-believer, an awful lot like a non-Christian. But when you peel back the veneer and get to the heart, the true believer has a heart for God and a desire to serve God and a desire to be right with God. And that's what we find with David. Now, we've taken this psalm, and the first week we looked at this, we talked about David's prayer. And then we looked last week at David's problem. And sometimes we forget that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, even though it looks like and feels like we do. There's something more behind that, and we need to figure out who the right enemy is. And we also need to see how they operate that, and we looked at that last week. And uh, our videos are archived at our website, 
And so uh, if you can go back and look at those, it might help you to catch up on that or maybe to review if you need to. Today we are going to um, take another look and we're going to see David's protection. And we're going to go on down to verse 7. So Psalm 64 and verse 7. Let's begin reading there. But God shall shoot at them with an arrow. Suddenly they shall be wounded. So he will make them stumble over their own tongue. All who see them shall flee away. And all men shall fear and shall declare the work of God. That's uh, kind of nice, kind of refreshing. You know, it seems like in our world, the enemies of God always seem to have the upper hand, don't they? They have money. They have power. They have fame. Everybody knows them. Uh, They have influence. People want to follow them. They want to dress like them. They want to act like them, live like them, those type of things. And then it seems like the people of God speak up and the world looks at them with disdain or sometimes even worse just dismissal just you know ignore them who are you and what do you have to say to somebody like me and uh, that's a problem when we're raising our children the world is always more colorful more alluring more exciting Uh, they have a lot of things going for them And we tend to try to uh, follow the world and say, you know, if we could do things with this much, uh, for lack of a better word, pizzazz like they do, if we could do some things with the production value, entertainment value and all of that, then we would really get the world's attention. And so you find a lot of churches and a lot of Christian people thinking that if we can just be cool, if we can be like them, then the world will listen to us. You know what we're finding out? It's not working. It's not working. That's not the way God designed it to be. And what happens is the more we try to imitate the world, the uh, more, I don't know, sometimes cheesy and corny and actually in our quest to be relevant, we actually become irrelevant after a while. You see, we have in the Bible the timeless, the eternal Word of God. A God who knows the end from the beginning, who has spoken through His Word and given us that Word to stand on. And so when we try to copy anything that's in the world, it's a cheap imitation. It's, it's something that doesn't last. It's something that's temporary. How quickly do styles change? How quickly do attitudes change? How quickly, well, my goodness, all we have to do is go back and um, think about the way the world used to be. You know, back in the good old days, we might say, yeah, I'm old enough to remember what January was like. I'm old enough to remember what February was like. And then along comes the month of March, and look how everything changed, and it changed so very rapidly in our culture. And I think that uh, that's just an illustration that if we try as the church to pattern ourselves after the world, what pattern are we going to follow? Something that happened in the 80s or the 90s or the 2000s? Or in our case now, what are we going to do? Go back to January or go back to March? What, what are we looking for? 
And so we've got to make sure that we are centered and standing on the Word of God. And then in our heart, our hearts are not in pursuit of what's comfortable or what's easy or something that we can relate to. That's where you get generations fighting even in church sometimes over music and over styles and all of that. I think it's got to be something more And I think this is what God is calling us to, to get our hearts centered on him. I saw a a meme today on Facebook. Um, I don't know if you've kept up with the things, but Jerry Falwell Jr. has resigned. There's been some scandal at Liberty University, personal scandal in his life. Who knows what that'll turn into. Pray for him and pray for his family and pray for the students there. And who knows what the secular press will do with all of that. But uh, this uh, meme was probably in um, relation to that. And it said that if, uh, I'll paraphrase it, if the fall of a Christian leader disrupts your walk with God, then you were following the the leader instead of following Christ. That's close enough to communicate the point anyway. And so many times we look at things, we look at people, we look at situations, we look at our comfort level and all of that, and we say, oh, that's God. Oh, that's the way that it has to be. And then it's like God sometimes allows the rug to be pulled out from under us to say, no, get back to what really matters. And so David understood that when it came to his life and his walk with God, that he has nothing if he's not a prayer warrior. He understood that his enemies were coming after him, and the reason that they were coming after him is because he had trusted in the Lord. This was really an attack on the Lord. They can't get to the Lord, so they go after the Lord's people. Now, these verses tell us some things here about uh, what God is going to do and how he protects his people. Now, I love this because um, the Bible says here about going back to verse 7, that God shall shoot at them with an arrow. How many shots does it take when you are an all-powerful God? Just one. He doesn't have to have a whole arsenal of them. He only has to have one because he knows where to shoot, when to shoot, how to shoot. He knows what the target is. And it's amazing that sometimes when God moves in just one arrow of judgment, everything begins to change. This is the Lord. The first thing that we want to see is that with God, it only takes one arrow because God doesn't miss. And someone pointed this out one time a long time ago when you think about using a bow and an arrow like David would use when you pull back on the bowstring the longer you pull back and the more you keep that thing back the harder the arrow is going to go you see we need to think about that when God doesn't judge sin immediately it doesn't mean that he hasn't judged it it doesn't mean that he's changed his mind it doesn't mean that he doesn't care sometimes he gives space to repent and someone pointed out that the longer he takes to shoot the arrow the harder the arrow is going to hit that's what a lot of Christians don't understand about the judgment of God why does God allow evil to go on 
Well, it may be because he is giving them space to repent. Sometimes, praise his name, sinners repent. And sometimes they repent before the judgment of God actually falls upon them for their sin. That's a good thing. But sometimes the judgment of God is delayed because when he fires the arrow, it's going to hit, and it's going to hit this world and the people in this world and those who are participating in the sin a lot harder than they ever thought that it might hit. And so the arrow, as it hits its target, it's a purposeful and a powerful arrow. I want you to uh, think about when you've seen a television show or a movie and uh, think about it like this. I saw one not too long ago. It was a police drama and there was a hostage situation and they're trying to negotiate with the hostages and it looks like that the hostage taker is going to kill one of the cops and uh, the cops are all communicating by radio and then the camera shoots to the person who is the sharpshooter, right? And you can see through the lens and you can see through the, um, the sights of the gun, the uh, sharpshooter goes, boss, I have a shot, I have a shot. And there where the person who is holding the hostage and the gun to the hostage's head getting ready to fire, all of a sudden the sharpshooter drops the hostage. I want you to think that David is the one and he's got someone aiming an arrow at him. Remember what he said back, I think it's in about verse 3. He's talking about the arrows that were coming his way. And here someone is and they're kind of hidden and they are um, getting ready to shoot their arrow into David. And just about the time they get ready to release it, what happens? God the sharpshooter, in protection of his man, fires his arrow, and that person drops, and David is protected. This is what David is hoping in, that an all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present God is going to preserve him and going to preserve his work and his covenants, his promises, his plans, and that the enemy is the one that is going to fall. Notice number two, that when God works, his enemies look like fools. You know, the book of Romans, Paul writes and says, professing themselves to be wise, they become fools. Now, right now, we may look and some people may sneer at us and scoff at us and say that we don't follow science and we're just a bunch of, you know, ignorant people that clinging to our Bibles and our faith and we're just so out of it and we don't really know what science says. One of these days, we're going to be proven right. God's Word is going to be proven right. And those who have sneered at it and not followed it they're the ones that are going to look like fools. The Bible says that the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. God is going to be vindicated and his people are going to be vindicated. Notice that in verse 8 it says, So he will make them stumble over their own tongue. Now, um, when you think about this fact that suddenly they shall be wounded... And in that wounding, they're going to stumble. They're going to fall. They're not going to be able to stand as arrogantly and as proud as they were before. 
And David says that they stumble over their own tongue. In other words, they're going to look like fools. They're not going to be as strong and as firm and as solid and as stable as they once were. Things are going to come to where they contradict themselves, to where they speak, we might say, out of uh, you know, both sides of their mouth. They are, they are going to be the, uh, well, they're going to reap what they sow, in other words. And they sow discord, discord is going to come on them. They were telling lies, lies are going to come back on them. They sowed confusion, confusion is going to come back on them. This is what David has an awful lot of hope in, in the way God is going to work. One arrow, making his enemies look like fools. And number three, uh, the theme of these particular verses seems to be uh, that he reverses the plans of the ungodly. Back in verse 3, it says uh, about the enemy who sharpen their tongue like a sword and they bend their bow to shoot their arrows. In other words, what they had intended for David is now coming back on them. What they had planned for the man of God, for this godly king, is now going to come back and be turned back on them. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. And so this is all reversed. And so while they're, again, pulling the bowstring and aiming, then they're hit by an arrow that they didn't see coming. Now, you know, people say things all the time. Well, if only I had known. If only I had seen that coming. I would uh, do things differently. Even lost people say that about their life. Sometimes when we're young, sometimes when we uh, think we've got the world by the tail, we've got everything, the tiger by the tail, we've got everything all figured out, we've got it all, um, you know, the way it's supposed to be, and we criticize other generations, and we criticize people that don't agree with us. In fact, what do you think in the uh, riots that are going on in the streets, you know, in Portland, in Seattle, and just in the last day or so in Wisconsin. What, what do you think their attitude is? Do you think that they are sniveling cowards who are just walking around saying, I hope this is the right thing to do, and we're not real sure about all of it? No, they're arrogantly confident in what they are doing. But if you will see Sometimes uh, you watch it on the news and you see this person who has been an, an arrogant, uh, prideful criminal. Maybe it's a white-collar crime. Maybe it's a government official. Or maybe it's just a thug off of the streets. Have you ever noticed how different they are when they're arrested, when they're in handcuffs and when they're being taken into prison or maybe they're being brought out of a courtroom. Have you ever seen them where they hide their faces? Sometimes they even cover their face with something. Uh, have you noticed the difference in the way they look, their body language? A little bit different than they were when they were throwing a brick at a cop or when they were busting a store window or lighting a fire or something like that. It changes. And this is... Uh, the picture of what God is saying is happening here to these people, um, you know, with, with David. That uh, this is the kind of thing to where things change when people get caught. Things change when people have to face the truth of who they are and the truth of what they've done. 
And some people run to the Lord, and some people run away from the Lord, uh, depending on where their heart really is. So you don't reap corn by planting apples, or vice versa, do you? You reap what you sow. And if you sow immorality, that's going to come back and bite you, isn't it? If you sow violence, you're going to reap violence. If you sow greed or murder or those kind of things, um, what do you expect is going to happen? You know, Jesus even warned Peter about this when he, uh, uh, Jesus was arrested, right? Peter pulled out his sword and cut off the uh, high priest's servant's ear. Remember that? And Jesus healed it, and he said, put away your sword. Those who live by the sword will die by the sword. Well, that tends to be the case, doesn't it? And so when we look at this and we see that we reap what we sow and a lot of people are going to get what they put into things, God is saying through David, it's not just a possibility. He's saying, I guarantee it. What they had planned for David came back on them. I want you to think about why Jesus might have said to us as the children of God, that we are supposed to love our enemies. I wonder why he would say something like that. Why did he tell us that we are to bless people who speak wrongly about us or abuse us or anything? Why would he say that we are to do something like that? And I think maybe a couple of reasons we ought to think about. Number one would be because if they don't repent and get right with God... They're going to reap what they sow. And as fellow sinners, hear what I said? Fellow sinners who have been forgiven and redeemed by the grace of God, not by our smart decisions, not by our wisdom or anything like that, there but for the grace of God go I. That, that's really more true than we think. We need to understand that we could have even though maybe we didn't engage in the same sin that they do, we still were bound for hell, and we were going to spend eternity with all of those people except for the grace of God. I think we ought to be gracious, and we ought to be compassionate, and we ought to understand that those lawbreakers, those people that are immoral, those people that are blasphemers and all of that, Think about where they're headed and think about not only their eternity, but think about what they're going to reap in this life. Things change as you go from your 20s to your 30s to your 40s to your 50s and even into your 60s. And some of those people that were so cool when they were in their 20s and so blasphemous and immoral... When they get into their 60s, they don't look so hip. They don't look so cool. And uh, they look old. And sometimes they look foolish at the way that they've lived their lives. We need to think that people are going to reap what they sow. And we ought to care about that and care about them and have compassion because they don't even know the arrow's coming. They don't even see it coming. Not only in eternity, but in this life. But let's think about it from another situation too. When you think about the life that they live and the world that they live in, we get a little taste of it every once in a while because we live in the same world. But we have the comfort of Christ, the uh, uh, power of his word. We worship together. We're in a body. We're in a community of believers and uh, we help each other and encourage one another. And I want you to think about people that are in the world. They have no clue what it's like 
for a believer to be a part of the family of God. I know that they have, you know, their gangs and they have their families and they have their community and all of that, but it's nothing like what we experience with the comfort and the presence and the promises and the people of God. It kind of sounds like a sermon in itself, doesn't it? So we need to look at them and we need to think, what can we do to reach them and bring them into the family of God? It might be that God brought us into contact with them. We might even be the object of their attack and of their persecution for the purpose of us sharing the gospel and living the gospel and returning love to them so that the goodness of God leads them to repentance. And God did that through you. That's why we ought to think differently when we are out in the world about the way people live and they act. What do we expect them to do? Folks, they are lost. And lost people live, think, and act and are motivated like lost people. We shouldn't imitate them. We shouldn't become like them. And we shouldn't retaliate against them. We need to understand that God has called us to show them love and grace and compassion. Now again, that doesn't mean that justice shouldn't be served or anything like that. It just means on the personal level, that's the way that we ought to think about them and think about these people that we come in contact with. And what happens when God does act? Number four, all will be in awe of him. It says, all who see them shall flee away. Isn't it amazing what's cool and popular when the justice of God comes, people run from it like rats leaving a sinking ship, right? And not only that, but it says in verse 9, all men shall fear. And that word fear is not just to be afraid. It does kind of have that in it, but it means to have a, a fear or to be afraid because you have respect for something. You see, when you are driving down the road and you're exceeding the speed limit, you're not really thinking about it. You come up over a hill and then you see a cop car. What happens? I mean, you, your stomach kind of goes up into your throat and you look down at your speedometer and, and then you wonder if he's caught you and, you know, what's going to happen and you drive on by trying to slow down. Uh, one of my uncles told me, don't ever let a cop see your taillights. That just alerts them that you're wrong. And so, uh, you know, if I'm doing that, I ooh, let off of the gas and coast and maybe everything will be okay. Why? Because you have respect for them. Uh, if you're like me, a cop doesn't have to pull a gun on you. Just the fact that they have the badge, they have authority, and that causes a little bit of fear that is based upon respect right? Well, that's what uh, David is saying here, that people are going to flee unrighteousness. It's going to become very unpopular one of these days. And when that happens, they're going to fear the Lord. And, and then what happens when they fear? And then it says they shall declare the work of the Lord. It's not just enough to say, oh, I'm afraid God's going to bring judgment. God has called us to speak as ambassadors of Christ about the gospel and the grace of God. And, you know, when God shows his power, no one can stand. In Psalm um, 30, I believe it is, 
Uh, no, it's not 30. I've got something written down here wrong. Um, you can look it up. It says, if you, O Lord, should mark our iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? Why does it uh, say that? Well, it says that because when we actually stand before God and a God who can't be buffaloed, a God who can't be fooled, a God who stands as a judge who doesn't need a jury because he already knows the thoughts and intents of the heart. I mean, what do you do? If he were to mark our iniquities, neither you could stand, I couldn't stand, no one could stand before him. Well, that's going to be the case for a lot of people one of these days. Have you ever heard of the great white throne judgment of God in the book of Revelation? That's where they're going to be. We need to have compassion on them. Hey, folks, consider this for the lost person who never repents. This earth and this world is as close to heaven as they're ever going to get. It only gets worse for them. They're going to hell for eternity. But for the child of God, understand this, this is as close to hell as you're ever going to get. So we ought to be able to have some compassion on other people. The Bible says in Hebrews 10:31, it is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. So when we think about when God moves, when that arrow is fired and the judgment of God comes, then respect uh, of God is going to be renewed and there's going to be worship there's going to be testifying and all of that is going to be a natural outgrowth of it Romans chapter 12 verses 18 through 21 says if possible so far as it depends upon you live peaceably with all beloved never avenge yourselves but leave it to the wrath of God for it is written Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. In other words, he's got his arrow in the bow, ready to fire it, and he'll do it right, and he'll do you right. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, well, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now, here's the crux of all of it. And this is what I think David would say amen to out of this psalm. Paul says, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. As you look around at this corrupt, broken, burning, awful, upside-down, confused world, don't be overcome by that. You say, well, I'll never do what they do. Good, that's good. But I don't think that's exactly what Paul means. I think he means being overcome by fear, being overcome by preoccupation, being overcome by influence all on this world. Don't over, be overcome by all of that. And don't let them push you around and don't let them determine whether you speak or whether you don't speak or whether you stand or whether you fold. Honor the Lord and realize where you stand with him. And understand that that arrow of judgment will never fall upon you because it fell upon Christ when he was hanging on the cross. When he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Picture it like this. That arrow of judgment that you deserved, it hit Christ. Understand that. But when you look around at this world, think about where they're headed. 
Think about what they are going through. Think about what they're going to experience. Think about how they're going to reap what they have sown. Think about the despair. Think about all of the discouragement. Think about everything they thought that they were going to get out of life. And it all evaporates into nothing. And not only in eternity, but even in this life. Why do you think Hollywood celebrities who have it all commit suicide? Why do you think that we live in a world where people are uh, achieving all of their goals and yet they're depressed? And you know what we should do as a response? Paul told us, don't be overcome by them, but we overcome. And how do we overcome? By treating them the way that we would want to be treated. Doing good to those who mean us harm. Why? Because God's got your back. Honor him, represent him, and reach out to other people and even think differently about them. So when you hear the news about somebody who was uh, a murderer or a thief or they were a rioter or something like that, instead of getting angry, why don't you pray for them and pray for their families? Because for every young man that threw a brick through the window, there's probably a broken-hearted mama, a broken-hearted daddy somewhere We should empathize with them. There but for the grace of God go I, as we've said before. But thank God for his mercy and that the arrow of judgment fell on Christ and not on us. That ought to change our outlook on everything. So there's our lesson. Let's go to prayer and let's ask God to change our lives. Thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in. May the Lord bless you richly in everything you do so that you can be a blessing to others, even your enemies.